Welcome to another episode of Wicked Smart. I'm your host, Lucas Bean. How you doing, Susan? Our special guest today, the amazing yeah. Susan Cummings. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me, Lucas. Pleasure's mine. Um, absolutely mine. A uh, little bit of a light audience today. We got ETH Denver going on. I was supposed to be there. We're here. Hey, you know what? They're usually my favorite conversations anyway. I agree. I agree. So yeah. I'm so cool with that. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it. I, I want to know all about 2K games, but let me. Uh, we want to start off usually with a, a little uh, market update from our friends over at Mintify. Mintify, cool. take it away. All right. How are you doing today? Good, my man. Uh, good morning. Good evening. Good. Good afternoon. And good night. Right. <laughs> yeah. All. All of those things. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's check this out. The 24-hour Ethereum market volume: uh, 30.9 million, up 76%. Solana market volume, 2.2 million, up 2%. It seems to hover right around 2 or 3 million. Highest sale, 150th for Azuki, 92.36. You can try out our new trading experience at trade.mintify.xyz. The top gaining index, top 500, up 0.7%, led by Curran, uh, Curranai, I'm probably mispronouncing that, 0.04, ETH floor price up 50%. Dead Degens, 0.034 ETH floor price up 36%. And Creature World, 0.219 ETH floor price up 29%. The top losing index, top 10 blue chip, down a modest 0.3%. Led by Clone X, 4.45 ETH floor price down 9%. Moonbirds, 6.34 ETH floor price down 6%. And Other Side, 1.786 ETH floor price down 2%. Some noteworthy market updates. Ethereum devs say that staking withdrawals are delayed until April. Near Protocol releases a blockchain operating system for Web3. And Moscow Credit Bank issues an on-chain bank guarantee in Chinese Yuan. The market stats, global crypto market cap, 1070.35 billion. Bitcoin dominance, 42.34%. Bitcoin open interest, $7.82 billion and fear and greed at 50 With Bitcoin right around 22390 down about 3.8%. And Ethereum just about 1570 down about 3.3%. And the S&P just about $4,000 even, up 0.5%. That is all. Thank you. That was a great update, my man. Thank you. Thank you. Who, who, uh, invented the fear and greed index that's my question do you have any idea like where that came from mintify um i'm not sure who invented it i can look into that that's a good Um, one right because it's like it's definitely an interesting scenario to call it like fear and greed stuff like that i I mean it makes sense obviously but it's based on um based on like um you know perception of of what's going on with the market apparently it was it was developed by cnn money so there you go. There you go. Look at that. So, you know, you have the answer, you know, doing the research is always important. <laughs> Good times, man. Learn something new every yeah, single day. That's the key. So, um, Susan, welcome. Thank you for showing up to the, the space today and the, and the show. I've, I didn't know much about you until recently and I did my research, stuff like that. So you're uh, you got a really, I mean, you have a really interesting pedigree. Um, tell me like, First, like I, usually we go through your, you know, basically your origin story, like where you came from, how you got into the space, all that stuff. If you don't mind, um, you know, start by introducing yourself real quick and then go on to like, just give us your like, you know, origin story and you can take as long as you want because, you know, there's not, cool. that, not that many people in here right now. So I do have a, I, I do have a weird eclectic backstory. Um, <laughs> I've been, uh, <laughs> so my, so, so now I, I am the co-founder of, um, of Tiny Rebel uh, labs and Petaverse, which I, I co-founded with my husband. We've we've been together for 25 years, and we've worked together. Congratulations, like, by the way. It's a weird. It's weird. I don't know many people who can say that. I don't recommend it for most people either. <laughs> but somehow we've <laughs> we've made that work. Uh, so we're 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 a strange couple. Um, but we we've always been in video games uh, together. Like going back to the the early console days, uh, we were both at Take Two. Uh, so my partner was a uh, worked his way up from from a QA tester to producing on some of the Grand Theft Auto titles on the on the Rockstar side. And I go back like pre Rockstar with that that team, but that's like a whole other long story. 
Um, Interesting. Suffice to so yeah, it's a there's a whole there's a long story there and how our rock star came to be. Um, but uh, nevertheless, uh, I ended up starting uh, 2K Games and 2K Sports with uh, then CEO Ryan Brown, who had started Take Two. Um, which was its own set of wild stories and how we bought uh, the sports group out of Sega, had to convince the guys who were making those sports games to sell them for 20 bucks, uh, despite the fact that they had a better football game than Madden, um, you know, leading to EA buying the NFL exclusive and, and totally cutting our knees out from under us. Um, sign, signing things like Bioshock and Borderlands and stuff that, you know, have gone on to be great franchises of Take Two uh, since I left. Um, so yeah, so we did that for, for six, seven years and then, um, we, we left cause it was a sucky place to work. It was, it was hard, you know, it was seven days a week, you know, just, just showing in to show face cause, cause that's what the, the company culture was like back in those days. And, um, Lee and I kind of resolved to never work for anyone again and not have employees. <laughs> I know and, how and that just... feels. I know how that feels. Okay. So trust me, yeah. I've been there. <laughs> And, and it worked well because Lee's really, it's funny, Lee, Lee has a, an economics background and I have an English degree, yet he's the designer and I'm the, you know, the producer and, and money person. So somehow we completely shifted our mindsets from, from our backgrounds. And uh, so my job has basically been enabling his sometimes crazy, always wonderful ideas. And we've done that for, you know, uh, you know since, since we left Take Two, really. Um, we ended up uh, we ended up at Paramount running their games group for a while and getting to work with uh, Bad Robot and like Curse Morrissey on That's Star Trek. That's amazing! I love Bad Robot, so they, oh, they make such great content. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, Paramount ruined their game. Uh, we we um, again. I have lots of stories that are sort of tangents that could each probably fill a Twitter space about my time working with them. Um. And that's what brought us to LA. And then we got involved in free-to-play when it was very early with mobile games. Uh, we did a we did a Doctor Who free-to-play game called Doctor Who Legacy, um, which uh, which did very well for us. Um, we like kind of technology inflections, you know. So that was the first of them, and then it became augmented reality, which we got involved in about four years ago. And um, again, huge story that whole project with with Ardman, the creators of Wallace and Gromit. Um, and then, you know, two years ago, we kind of got bit by the let's let's figure out how Web3 shifts things forward in uh, in games and technology. And so that became the beginning of building Pediverse a couple of years ago. And then we kind of threw all the rules out. And despite the fact that we said we were never going to have a company, I now nearly have 30 employees. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and a year ago we were 10 people. So uh, it's been a while. That it's is been amazing a growth. Ride. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations on that. Thank you. You know, it's, I, 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 for a long time, I wondered if I could run a company, if I wanted to run a company. And I kind of feel like I, I, you know, I'm living the life now. Like I really uh, profoundly enjoy finding good people and making sure that they're happy and, and taken care of and that they can just be, you know, uh, empowered to build, you know, cool stuff. Like that's my job now is cheerlead and, and, and give us the freedom to build. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, servant leaders usually do that. You know, it's like, how, how can I remove things in your way? Um, so you yeah. can actually do your job better. And you know, it's funny, people are like, Oh, you got 10 employees. You went to 30. Like, just so you guys know, if any, whoever's not in like, whoever's going to listen to this later or whoever's in the space right now, like managing people, um, is one of the most difficult things you could do. Cause each one of them have their own personalities, their own little world they live in of problems, of successes, of like issues of like just happiness, what makes them happy, what makes them tick. And you have to learn how to use, like leverage them all in a positive way and make sure that they're happy and also getting along with everybody else. You know what I mean? Like it's a really, really important thing to understand that managing people is probably one of the hardest things you could possibly do. And 30 people is three times harder than 10 people. <laughs> so respect to the growth, respect to the management. And of course, you can't make everybody always happy. So, you know, eventually you'll have to, you know what I mean? Like find new people and that's even more difficult Then you got to learn all over again. So 
Yeah. Yeah. I've been been fortunate. I've, I've surrounded myself, you know, with a lot of people I have, you know, a history with, you know, not just my, my partner, but our, you know, our CTO is, is, uh, mine and Lee's best friend for, for decades. Well, since he was a kid, um, my COO I worked with for the last five years and he's the absolute best. So, you know, it's a, it's a joy when you surround yourself with great people. Um, Absolutely. Which, you know, which I have. So, you know. So I'm going to ask you some interesting questions here because, especially Ooh, when it comes, to, it. Well, especially when it comes to rock star, though, I want to know that that interesting story of rock star right now, and then we'll sure. get we'll get into so, all your stuff. Like, tell me about yeah. rock star because I know rock star because obviously I've been in video uh, gaming too. Um, I would love to hear about like the inception of rock star and how it all got got built. That'd be really cool to hear. Yeah, sure. So once upon a time, when I got in, out of college, I was a, a recruiter. It was yeah. my first job. And um, I stumbled into video games kind of by accident. Um, this was all? like, yeah, yeah, I totally did. I had, a, I, had a, I had a new boss throw a book at me and say, I want you to specialize in get, get a multimedia. And I was like, what? And the book was mostly game companies. This is how I ended up in video games 26 years ago or whatever. It's ridiculous. And um, so I started talking to a lot of people in video games. And there were no women in it. It's kind of like Web3 right now. And, um, you know, I was like 26 years old or whatever. And uh, I ended up getting to know BMG Interactive. So Bertelsmann, uh, the music company, had a games group, which is where Rockstar came from, if, if you don't know. It was BMG Interactive. And um, they had an office in the U.S. and they had an office in London. The office in the U.S. didn't do much of any particular merit. But London was working on Grand Theft Auto uh, with DMA and uh, and some other stuff. And so... Uh, I ended up, I was bored with recruiting. And so I ended up getting involved in, in doing licensing deals. And um, I was asked to sell off the rights to Grand Theft Auto in the US. I remember seeing the game for the first time at ECTS Europe. They're like, there's this other game we're working on that you have to check out and see if, like, who would publish this in America. Um, and it nearly went to THQ, funny enough. They were going to publish it. Wow. Um, and then a company you will never have heard of called American Softworks was going to buy BMG Interactive. And that's where Rockstar would have ended up. Um, Ryan Brandt was about 23, 24 at the time. Um, and he started Take-Two, uh, Peter Brandt's son. And Ryan sadly passed away a few years ago. but um, So he was running the company. And he, he was the one who said to me, he heard this story that American Softworks was going to buy BMG Interactive. And how do I get involved in it? So I introduced them to each other. And Ryan is a very controversial figure, or was, um, but he was a very, he was a wonderful deal guy. I learned so much from him and he convinced them to sell to take two, which at the time was worth nothing. They were doing FMV, full motion video games. It was horrible. Everything they did was horrible. And yet he convinced them to sell to take two and rockstar was born and rockstar took a while to do anything, you know, of, of commercial success as well. They did a, a surfing game called surf H3O. They did, um, they did Oni, which was, you know, the same team that did Halo, um, had this IP called Oni and, um, they actually, they owned, uh, people don't remember Bungie and, uh, sold it off to Microsoft. So it was a very weird time at take two. Uh, so I joined just after GTA three shipped and, uh, we joined Rockstar and, uh, when it was in a small office still, I was involved in doing, I did the deal in Japan to get Grand Theft Auto out in Japan. Um, and then, uh. 2K really came about after Ryan had his fall from grace and he had this SEC scandal. And so he stepped down as CEO and he was bored. And Take-Two was thought of as just being Grand Theft Auto. And so we were given a couple hundred million dollars to set up a new label. And we combined a couple studios. We combined gathering with developers and Gotham Games and all these other things at the time. And went off and met with developers, most of whom we pissed off at Take-Two. And said, what do you want to do? We'll fund it. We'll let you share the IP and we'll build new things together. And out of that um, came Bioshock, Borderlands, uh, a rebirth of the XCOM series, the the Civilization expansion, the sports group, like so many amazing things came out of um, having that checkbook back then and being able to sign some great teams. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So you're able to go out and like not only sign great teams, but also build great IP. Uh, Yeah. You know, and... Do you know any idea of like how much that IP is worth now? I can't imagine. I mean, <laughs> you have to, these were, these were all so early. Like I, I signed Bioshock largely on the fact that I trusted Ken Levine and, and I knew him and he wanted to make the sequel to System Shock. And he, yeah. so I, I, you know, instinctually thought this guy has been waiting for years to make the sequel to System Shock. He's not going to screw that up. 
if we give him money. I didn't really need to know much more than that, nor did Brian. And, and you know, there wasn't even really a game design document at that point. It was just a lot of trust for Ken, which is a lot of what original IP is, is trust for somebody's vision. Right. Um, it, it was the same with Borderlands. Borderlands, uh, which, which I'm sure you're familiar with, oh, yeah. was a verbal pitch at E3. We signed it on the back of a five-minute pitch. Wow. Uh, See, this is the kind of again, these are the kind of stories that nobody knows, <laughs> that everybody needs to called, know about. Like this is these are great stories right here. <laughs> it was called Pandora's Box back then, or something like that, and it was pitched as you know, uh, Halo meets Diablo, and in uh, in in many ways, it, it it stayed true to what it was supposed to be. You know, there were certain things that really disappointed me about the first Borderlands, but I think they got, I think they figured it out as they went along, and I think it got better and better. Um, Civilization is a good story. Civilization, we bought from Atari uh, hey. for twenty million for twenty million dollars. Yep. Um, Do you know what year you bought Civilization in? Like Civilization, that in? would have been two thousand and five. Yeah, that makes sense. They were spinning. Atari was spinning off a lot of their IP. They, exactly. they actually used to own Mortal Kombat, and they sold it for like a crazy cheap amount of money, and it turned in. You know, it was a billion dollar, you know, billions of dollar franchise. So it's interesting. It's, it's the hardest part for Atari these days, you know, and I know the, I know the guy who runs Atari now yeah. and, and yeah. people like Fred Cheney over the years is that they sold off all of the stuff that was really valuable there. So yeah. what's left, you know, they have to build something new. I think that's the key for them is either like find a new direction and pivot to that direction and stay there without having to like keep changing their business model. Cause they did. Even when I was there, they changed from doing like triple a games to social and mobile games. So it's interesting. The game, the game business and also like who they put in charge and like who owned Atari at the time. I think it was Atari Essay that was owned yes. by a French company. You know, your and, history. Yeah. And the, well, I worked at Atari. I was the head of global marketing for Atari. So, um, Oh, I totally forgot that. Yeah, it's okay. Were you there during like Fred Cheney's I was only uh, or Jim Wilson or? So I was, uh, yeah, Wilson. Yep, Jim. He was a great Jim guy, Wilson. by the way. Um, yeah, but I was hired know, by I, a different CEO. So I was hired by... Um, well, I don't want to get into my story. I want to get more of your story, but I was hired by a different CEO and he, and like literally 30 days later, he got, he was like, you know, they basically parted ways and all of a sudden Jim became the C, the, the CEO, like re- very quickly. Um, he That's was, a, he was a really smart guy, but he was tasked with spinning off valuable IP to make money. And the interesting part was, so, oh my God. Yeah. It's interesting. We would have, we would have almost overlapped or overlapped. You know, yeah. Jim. Yep. hired me and my partner for a few months to, to consult for Atari before we ended up helping uh, Paramount. Yep. They're, uh, again, Jim, wicked smart guy, finance. He's like really smart at finance. Genius, I would say, um, yeah. with all that stuff. So respect to, to Jim. Um, so keep going. Like, So you, you, you built out all these. It sounds like it's amazing. Question to you in this audience, mm-hmm. and you know, the people that are going to listen to this later in the audience, when you build a game, how do you go about like, funding that game in terms of like who, how do you trust the people that are going to build the game is it all on based on reputation only like or is it based on you know because like there's some people that don't have a reputation and they want to just build the game like do they have to like have a like already be a proven track record for you guys to invest like back in the day when you were at like rockstar or two you know at or at 2k or whatever it is like are you or are you going to like fund small game houses and like see their their proof of concept and then like just give them a, give them some funds you know, it's it's interesting because it changes. It, it changes and always has changed a lot cyclically based on you know uh, how competitive the market was. Right. You know, there was a there was a period of time when I first came to Take Two when Mike Wilson uh, and Harry were running Gathering of Developers, and you know they made a name for themselves doing indie stuff. You know, like uh, uh, Serious Sam, and you know when it was possible to do that. And then there became a period where it was almost impossible and it had to be an expensive game. And they tried to do it again with Gamecock and they signed a bunch of, you know, sort of low end indie stuff and it couldn't compete. You either were big or you were budget and there was like nothing in between. And then it kind of came full circle again because, you know, they went on to start Devolver and Devolver has just knocked it out of the park, you know, with um, with doing these indie games again because it sort of came full circle and it was time to do that again. And, you know, now you can do games on mobile phones and you can do games on Steam and, you know, now obviously Web3 gaming becoming a thing. Like there's so many areas that gaming touches into that there's opportunities to be indie again. But most of the time when I was at Take-Two, it was much more having to invest in big projects and put big, big marketing money behind them. And I always found that it was very instinctual. And that's why I think that not a lot of original IP gets signed because it's become so formulaic. 
you know, and it was as I was leaving take two, you know, Ryan was gone and there was nobody around that was willing to just, you know, let me trust my instincts on things I felt in terms of the writing on the wall. Um, you know, a new regime was coming in. And I even saw this with a company that we started afterwards. You know, this is like 2008, the worst possible time to start a company. We were trying to do original IP and trying to explain to VCs at the time. We didn't want to go anywhere near games back right, then. Right. That, you know, that original IP has no comparables. And that's what makes it interesting is that it's innovative and hasn't been done before. And that's really scary for people. And so you do have to kind of trust your instincts. And so it was frequently something like, look, it's Ken Levine. He's not going to screw this up. He's been waiting for this opportunity. He has a great team. So there's certainly like, do you have a team that's capable? But it's also, there's something like, I think this is the same for any industry where like music, video games, you know, uh, you know, writers and understanding books, like you, you have an instinct about it. And sometimes you could walk into a room with a game developer and even before they've opened their mouth, you've kind of decided what you think of them. And, uh, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talked about it in Blink. And I'm not a huge Malcolm Gladwell fan, but I thought Blink was really interesting. And I found it really resonated with me because it explained why I felt that way sometimes that I'd go into a meeting within five minutes, I'd kind of turned off, even though they probably could have told me amazing things, but something about it stunk and I wasn't interested. Right. That's, uh, yeah, I like the way you look at that. Now, I'm a, I'm, I like Malcolm Gladwell to an extent. He's got some good books. What I do like is the, obviously, um, the 10,000 hour rule, you know what I mean? Like outliers. Yeah. I really like that book, but, um, you know, I don't, you know, sometimes I, I agree and I disagree with like having to have 10,000 hours, but you know, then again, I am, I am a person that learns very quickly. So I think on average 10,000 hours is definitely important, but I do love that. I mean, I do love that one book specifically, but yeah, let's yeah. keep going with like what you're doing now. So what are you working on like now? And like, um, if you're not, are, I'm assuming you're, you're completely doxed. What part of the country do you live in? I'm in the UK in Wales. Yeah, there you uh, go. My, there you go. My partner's from Wales, and yep. uh, he's Welsh. Oh Denver. man, how do you how do you understand him that with that accent? Oh, uh, you know what? It's only like <laughs> in in like the nether reaches of Wales that anyone really has that sort of accent. Oh, okay. I was gonna say. I was gonna say that accent's um, that accent's tough for me when I'm when I'm talking to like the like a true Welsh person. It's really like, I'm like what? <laughs> so we we met in San Francisco during Dakar One, and um, nice. so we finally decided like eighteen years uh, eighteen years in or so, like let's try this. We had a kid who wanted to be near his grandparents, and we own a brewery over here. Our family has a, an award winning craft brewery, so you know that was another nice reason wow. to be over here and be more distance from you know from good beer. You know, yeah, that sounds that sounds delicious. <laughs> pub, see, the interesting part is I think pub life in england and like ireland and stuff like that people don't understand it until they're like they're there like that is literally the where you go after work it's like a very unique experience to i think europe where like everything all social life especially like again ireland like lit like thrives in and pu pubs like everybody goes to the yeah. pub like it's not even totally. a question even if you don't drink you're at the pub you know what I mean? Like, which by the yeah. way, everybody drinks. <laughs> so I'm about to say, yeah, exactly. It's very especially, especially in, <laughs> especially in games, you need to drink. <laughs> I'm sure you know that already. So tell me, <laughs> tell me what you're working on now. I'd love to hear like the story behind like what you're working on now. It'd be great. Yeah. So like to set the, the, the reasoning for it, we had just come off of working on this AR project. Um, we, we want, so here's an interesting one in the UK, they have a lot of grant funding for R and D, which, um, was a novelty to me as an American that, you know, we, we won this, um, this grant for ourselves and a couple partners to, um, to, to build, uh, an immersive storytelling AR experience with Wallace and Gromit, like just wild. And it was like a $5 million project. So we didn't have to think about being commercial. We just got to play and tinker for a few years and, you know, one, one, you know, got, got shortlisted for some Cannes Lion Awards and stuff. It was just a really fun period, but we came out of it knowing an incredible amount about AR. And uh, we, you know, we got on Apple's radar with that. We were working closely with Unity. Everyone was like kind of giving us access to their new tech because we had money and a project. And, and, and AR has, you know, really struggled to gain, gain traction, you know, in that area. People want to have content and use cases, but no one wants to pay for them. So uh, that put us in a really good position. And so, Two years ago, we came out of that and, um, you know, going back to me saying we weren't going to have a team, we, we had a team. We had a couple of, of uh, engineers on staff. And um, I said to my, uh, my partner, I said, you know, this was such a complicated project uh, because it was more than AR. It was like a way of reinventing storytelling in real time. And I'm like, what if we just specifically focused on 
what we know things like LiDAR on the iPhone can do. And, you know, it, it's amazing if you have an iPhone Pro, how quickly it understands the space that you're in. And so I said, I really want to just get a cat up and running in a space. I'd love to see if that could get, you know, help people fall in love with augmented reality. But I was, I didn't want to just stop there. I, I, I love the idea of a virtual pet that could go with you everywhere, you know, seamlessly, you know, it could change art styles. It could be, you know, it could change from, from, from AR to VR to your smartwatch and whatever. And I said to Lee, how could we do that? And, um, he said, if we thought about this in a, in a web three sense, um, we could define these pets as data as opposed to linking them to art styles and so forth. And, um, and that means that we could take them wherever we want to go. Now, to make that simpler to understand, the Loot NFT project is an example of this thinking. What happens when you have a list of information that can be interpreted? That, that's what we're building, is essentially immortal Web3 digital pets that can be taken everywhere forever because of Web3. And like so it, it becomes- a I like this so far. This sounds interesting. It becomes a really pure use case for Web3, you know, that isn't about speculation or flipping or tokenomics or play to earn or any of that stuff. It's just, how can I own my stuff? How can I take it with me everywhere? And how can I build new stuff out of it? And what do I need to be able to do that? So our project has been about defining what is necessary for all of that to work and building that. And that's what we've been building for two years now and are about to, about to launch in about 10 days. Interesting. So, um, does the pet, you said a virtual pet that comes with you wherever you go, Yeah. does that pet have to be fed and taken care of? You know what I mean? Like the, that old, what's it called? That little Tamagotchi. Little, yeah. Tamagotchi. Thank you. I don't know why I couldn't remember the name, but yeah. Tamagotchi. <laughs> like, is this a Tamagotchi NFT? Cause if so, there's gonna be a lot of dead NFTs. <laughs> it, yeah, it, no, we have, we have said that these pets will never die in a web three sense. Like it'll always be there, but that doesn't mean that an experience couldn't exist that the pet can be brought into where right. it would die in the game, you know, yeah. but it would still yeah. be there and protected within, you know, uh, on the database, you know, that is web three, like a good, a good way of thinking about this and why we built this is Nintendogs. And, you know, it occurred to us that, um, you know, Nintendogs are quintessential web two, like 20, I was astounded to find that 25 million people, had bought Nintendogs. It was one of the best-selling things that Nintendo ever did. Yeah. Right? Yep. But, and, and, and you, you bought that thinking it was yours, but the problem is it's, it's stuck in, um, on an old device, in an old game, in an old art style, like all of which is obsolete now. So for the most part, no, no one's playing with their Nintendogs anymore. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I think that would make a great game, though. I mean, even a passive game where you're taking care of your Tamagotchi pet and then you can just go and, and, and like whoever takes care of it the longest, you know, like there's like a first, second, third prize and then like all the rest, like if you buy it and you don't take care of it, you know, it could actually just die. And all of a sudden you see it as like a bunch of like, you know, the, uh, the IPFS server can, you can update with, you know, some artwork of like a, a gravestone, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> a, a, a memorance page, like so-and-so's, you know, uh, pet died. Like It's like all these dead pets and like the top three are like there forever or whatever, however many like are the top. And then you reward them with like a, you know, a, a very rare NFT because for, you know, for keeping the pets or something like that. It's just an, uh, it might be an interesting scenario to like, if anybody's it's, in it's this a, audience. It's a totally listens. valid use case. No, yeah. no, no, totally. But yeah. so, so that's the thing. We are treating them as a as a key really i mean think of it as a as a pass into a, a, a an ecosystem right. so you know we've built a bunch of experiences not just one um we're we're launching um immediately with utility as opposed to like you know roadmap um it's and it's on three platforms and it's already approved by apple so we're, we're you know we're good to go um called the mimatron um uh, then we're launching a VR experience soon after on the Quest for the same pet. So you connect your MetaMask wallet. You can bring your your, your pet from experience to experience. Uh, then we're launching Twitch integration so that an influencer can have it on stream with them. Um, we'll be launching breeding to, to grow the pet community. Uh, and then we're launching the Tamagotchi experience that you're talking about, which is essentially Nintendogs. But what's unique is that you can fulfill your pet's needs in any of the experiences that we've built, not just, not just one. So it's basically your, your pet in the cloud. 
Um, and so that's, you know, that's sort of how we're seeing this year roll out, but we're taking it a step further. We're saying that the whole community, everybody out there can have access to the same tech stack that we're building with. So anybody who wants to build a pet experience can use our tech stack to do so for free. I love um, it. That's great. Like uh, basically or, it's like an SDK you're giving people like, here you go, here's our SDK. And kind of like that. It's like, you never yeah. have to build a pet animation system again. Like why waste the time and money on it when, you know, you could, you can use ours. Or if you're, if you have a video game uh, or not even a video game, an app, whatever it is, and you want to bring uh, a pet system into it, you can, you can take ours. And um, again, for free. And, um, and you, you can see how we start to grow this, you know, composability system for, um, for, for pets, for digital pets. My question on that is, can you learn anything uh, or take anything away, number one, from crypto kitties? Like, is there a learning you can like, like be like, wow, yes. crypto kitties did it either right or wrong. And here are the things I learned that they did wrong. Here are the things that we're going to improve on. Here are the things they did right. And let's just like take the ideas and like make them our own kind of a thing. Like which part of, because uh, you said breeding. So, I, you know, there's a lot of people complain about the breeding and creating a supply that's just too much, right? And then the value just drops. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great question. And we've learned a lot from CryptoKitties. We know the CryptoKitties team because Dapper is one of our smaller investors. And um, there's a few things there. Um, yes, we, they, they flooded the market with CryptoKitties. Uh, we're taking a really <laughs> uh, careful approach, you know, because of that and other projects to breeding. Um, I think this coming week, we're going to be revealing some of the details and how that's going to work, but it's going to be done in seasons. And it's going to allow our Genesis holders to be directly involved in participating and financially being rewarded for how the the uh, collection expands. Yeah, it's interesting. And, it's in, Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, um, no, 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 no. I was just going to say, so I think, that, I think that we have to be really careful about that. It's super important. We, we need to grow the audience, but on the other hand, we need to be careful and thoughtful about how we do it. Yeah, I almost and I do you see like breeding as like a type of royalty almost like or or not even a type of royalty a type of like staking because I mean, no, I hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because that's the thing. I yeah. want people to 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 keep their pets, right? But obviously, financially, there's always an incentive to get people to sell things when you have a royalty. And so, right. yeah, I see breeding as a as a wonderful way of encouraging people to hold on, but have the opportunity to 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 do something new with it. So, yeah, definitely. How do you? How are you guys going to go about like the royalty situation that's happening right now, where everybody's going zero royalty on these marketplaces? Are you guys going to possibly? I'm assuming you're going to have your own marketplace, but are you going to lock that contract or these, these smart contracts in your marketplace so that you cannot trade them on OpenSea? Uh, looks we, rare or blur or any of these places. Cause then you can control whether or not the royalty stays right. You know? So I think that that's the future for, for most projects is going to be, you know, their own marketplace. Um, and we've built a platform and there's going to be a whole slew of functionality. Well, is at, at launch and, and going forward, you know, in terms of things that we haven't really gotten into yet about like our cross chain compatibility and how that works. Breeding will be handled through the platform, uh, detachable NFTs, cloud updating your, your PFP picture based on things that your pet creates. All those things are things that you'll do within the platform. So it makes a lot of sense that we would handle trading there too. Um, but for the time being, uh, we have taken a, a really thoughtful approach there and we are using OpenSea's code, but we are maintaining control of that registry. And so for the time being, we're going to whitelist OpenSea and Blur uh, for trading, but we'll have the ability to turn that off as well if they're not, if they're not behaving themselves, as it were. Um, I think that secondary royalties are critically important when you start to look at projects that like ours that are trying to, you know, to build going forward, you know, that are, I think it's important that you, you offer utility immediately. And, you know, it's why we didn't raise money on the NFT, but I think it's important that there's a path to how you continue to, to generate revenue for the project so that you can keep, you know, keep building. And, and I think it assigns, it, it, it aligns incentives with, with both sides. It, it means that we don't want to flood the market. Um, so, but when, when you remove the secondary royalty, there's no reason for a creator to just not create more. I mean, you gotta, you gotta sell something, right? So I just think it, it's always felt really short-sighted to me, these, these concerns about secondary royalties. And Anamoka is one of our investors and I spent time with Yat last week in, um, in Paris talking nice. about this. Yeah, he's awesome. You know, Anamoka is doing such an amazing job 
banging the drum about this topic. And, um, and in fact, they had a, they had an hour long session for all their port codes this afternoon, again, talking about secondary royalties and what we need to do to protect ourselves. And I just think it's, they, you know, because they have so much money, they have the power to, you know, to really be noisy about this compared to, you know, smaller developers. So I think it's really important that they're, they're doing that. But, um, I agree. but going back to your question a second about CryptoKitties, sure. you know, CryptoKitties had a thing called Kittyverse. Um, where you could uh, create new experiences like dApps for CryptoKitties. And I remember coming across it. I'm like, oh, my God, that's this is like early on in the project. right? That's exactly what we have in mind. And so in some ways, this is like the grandfather. That was like the grandfather of this. You know, the thing was the limitation with CryptoKitties is obviously they're, they're 2D JPEGs. Um, our value proposition is now you have everything else that it actually takes to create a game, the model, the, the rig, the animations and so forth. Um, and I think Kittyverse would have been awesome if they had been, you know, uh, if they'd, they'd supplied the underlying tech stack and and perhaps and if they'd been, they wouldn't have to be 3D, but usable assets to create an experience upon. And so, um, but that was so forward thinking. And even even the CryptoKitties approach to metadata was was super robust. Um, you know, we so we've defined um, an open standard, if you will, for uh, metadata for things that you want to bring between worlds. And so every one of our pets uh, exists as DNA, and that DNA uh, has descriptors uh, largely based on their rarity. So the more rare something is, the more descriptors it has. And so it can be, you know, agile versus clumsy, for example. Uh, it could be uh, arrogant versus humble. Um, it could, you know, how, how fast it moves. And, and all this can be defined in its, in its metadata specifically. Uh, also, its morality in a D&D sense, uh, what element it aligns with what it owns, and so forth, is all there in this human-readable metadata, which means that if you tried, if you wanted to take these, the, these pets into a new experience, imagine bringing them into Fortnite or something like that, where the art style isn't the same as ours, you can reinterpret that metadata. So we extrapolate what it looks like from the description of it, kind of like how Dolly prompts work. And we say, if this doesn't match the art vision that you have, go your own way with it, and then use what you want, pick and choose what you want of our tech to, to, to help you to make it work in your game. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think you're right, um, especially royalties. I see that as a problem when you don't have royalties, you actually do have to do breeding. You do have to make, you know, make new NFTs in order to, for those people and for you as a company to spin off and, and make more, you know, make, somehow make more revenue. So it definitely makes sense. And also trapping your NFTs, I would say, inside of your own marketplace definitely guarantees you people will be paying a royalty if you build it into your smart contract um, and you build it into your marketplace that you guys build. And I don't think marketplaces are that hard to build anymore. Like they're kind of easy to sp like yeah. spin up because of this, like, you know, there's a whole bunch of GitHub repositories with this data in there and you can just like spin it up and have have a couple smart people build it out and it's it's ready to go. So um yeah definitely some great. ability there yeah what's the biggest hurdle you're actually running into right now uh, i think the biggest hurdle is uh getting people to uh accept that you're actually really legitimately building something there's so much noise out there there's so many rug pulls and scams and promises that bring you nothing that the hardest thing is to be uh is to be believed really to, to be, to feel authentic in this space. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's troubling. I, 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 I came here with, you know, a, a reputation in web two that, you know, in some ways you jeopardize coming into web three because there are a lot of people out there who hate web three and, and that's okay. I, I went into that with open eyes. Um, but it's very hard to lift the narrative and, you know, that was what we decided to do. We could have waited for the mass market. And instead we said, you know what, um, let's, let's meet everyone where they are right now. And, 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 and meet everyone's expectations of what they want, but let's give people more. And, you know, so, you know, we're launching with this, you know, three platform app and it's very hard to get people to understand that and not assume that you're a PFP project, um, you know, to get people to do their homework and dig in is, is, is really challenging. And it's why I spend so much time on Twitter at the moment, just trying to educate. I mean, I did a voice recording of our white paper on Spotify just to get people to, to listen and, and, and dig in. Um, so yeah, I think that that's the hardest part. Everyone says do your homework, but nobody really wants to do their homework. 
Yeah, it's, I think it's I think the best thing you can do as a project founder or you know a game developer in this space is oversimplify what you guys are going to do and communicate it in like like you're talking to a five year old in like five tweets, <laughs> right? Five or six tweets yeah. because tweets can't. I mean, up until now, tweets couldn't be very long. Um, I always think like, how could I communicate this in 280 characters or less? And even less than that, like how do I communicate this in like, you know, uh, 160 characters, right? Like get it. So it's so smart. And like, it's, I would almost say like images speak a thousand words in this case where you use some art to like demonstrate what your, your mission critical stuff is. And like that constraint you, you leverage with such a small, small character count or like putting something right in one graphic, like to explain one thing is like super important to like get right. Communication is the key here, right? You know, like you you said, um, I don't want to do my my homework. I don't want to read a white paper. Like the last thing I'm going to do is read a white paper, period. Um, the only way I'm going to read a white paper is if it's in like a, a visual displayed uh, experience. I, I read one, what, what day was that? Not yesterday. Oh, Wednesday. Yeah, okay. So I read, uh, they said they call it their white paper. And really it was just a PowerPoint presentation with, with, uh, you know, beautiful graphics that just explain the entire thing. And I was like, oh, this is so much easier to understand and not have to read like long paragraphs of like, we plan on doing X, Y, Z, you know, it's like, oh my God, stop with the white papers. Um, <laughs> it's tough. Like we got, you got to make like, it's got to, I wouldn't even call them white papers anymore. I would literally just call them like something else, but a white paper um, or a light paper or whatever the heck they want to call it. Like it just sounds like a lot of work instantly paper makes me scared instantly because I just don't want to read something that, yeah. So as long as you can communicate it really, really well in like a couple of graphics or a couple of tweets with, with graphics, like communication is the key in the space. And if it's the, the, the simpler and the dumber it comes across, the more people understand it. I mean, that's how I, yeah. that's how I do almost everything. At least I you try to use as many graphics as I possibly can. And I know that over communications, the best communication. Um, yeah. So do you have a, uh, hopefully you have a communications person <laughs> um, that under, <laughs> hopefully you have a, you have a community. So there's a lot of, there are a lot of bad things that's happened in this space and I wouldn't call them like scams or rug pulls. I would call them just bad communication, right? It's, it's literally, if you had a, a person that communicates for you or, you know, if you're a great communicator, which you seem like you are, uh, it's, that's where everything breaks down. And it's, there's just a lot of people that, that get the comms part wrong. And then they wonder like, why is everybody upset with me? Well, it's because you didn't communicate exactly like on a fifth, like a five-year-old's level. And, uh, and that's literally what it is. Like, it doesn't matter. You could be a CEO of a company with 30, 40 years, all the way down to a person that literally just entered the workforce yesterday. And all those people will be better off if they can uh, like, if you can communicate at a, at a five-year-old's level, because then it's that simple. So, yeah. yeah. And, and like I said, I think you're going to do quite well at it already. So, I mean, you've done great yeah, on the show so far. I've, I understand most of what you're doing right now, like all the, the breeding mechanics and the royalty locks and the Tamagotchi, eventually the Tamagotchi usefulness. Like, I think that's really cool. And I think that um, that's a really cool passive game. And even though it's an active game, cause you got to keep, feeding your Tamagotchi kind of a thing. Like that's such an interesting um, use case to be on. Like no one's done that on blockchain yet, as far as I know. And then yeah. like when they die, they just, they're dead. You know what I mean? Like you have a <laughs> gravestone in its place or like a remembrance marker. So that's interesting. <laughs> and then there's like winnings, like you can win at this game. You know, there's like something you give away. So that's cool. So when are you guys, when are you guys, oh, Mr. a real nice guy. What's up, man? I forgot to say hi to you real quick. You're on stage. How you doing? Good. Just, uh, just listening in on this lovely Friday morning. <laughs> Glad to have you, man. Real nice guy has been in the yeah. space for a long time. He's a really good dude and he's actually a really nice guy. So he like lives up to his name. I hope so. <laughs> so, um, when do you plan on, so you guys have a, a mint coming up. When is that mint? We do in about 10 days. Uh, oh, a week wow. from Monday. Yeah. Are you doing allow lists or anything like that? Years. Uh, we do. We do. We're just about closing it. Um, 
so uh, we're 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 in a good full spot. You know, there's the thing is there are a lot of people still discovering the project, and so we try to take this thoughtful approach to not like giving out the whitelist day one um, and sure. giving people time to to learn and understand. So yeah, we're we're pretty much at the tail end of being able to accommodate anybody in the whitelist, but. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, if, yeah. uh, have you re- which communities have you reached out to recently uh, to get people filling up the whitelist? Because I'm a part of like like a thousand communities, so I'm wondering, have you reached? <laughs> so many of them. Yeah, have you have you reached out to like a bunch of 10k projects or maybe smaller projects? Yeah, we've like had a lot of them reach out to us. To be honest, we oh, nice. we uh, we our 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 DM our, our tickets on Discord is a mile long, and we've you know we've gotten through it as quickly as we can, um, and on Twitter as well if people wanted to collaborate with us. Um, so yeah, that is that is where a lot of a lot of it has come from is collaborations with other communities. That's great. All right, yeah. that's that's good news. Okay, so yeah. clearly you have that unlock. If you want to pin up uh, the allow list in here, um, you definitely can. If there's st- if it, you said it's still open. So. Yeah, I will. I will. I will pin up information about it. If you know, if anyone here, like I, I, I love when anyone comes out to listen to founders talk. If anyone here really, really wants to still be on the whitelist, reach out to me, and I will absolutely do that. Do what I can to get people to get people in. Yeah, I, I could definitely use. I'll definitely take an allow list. Like, who wouldn't, right? Real nice guys awesome. already DM'd me. Is like, I need on this. I need on this allow list ASAP. So I was like, Yeah, don't awesome. worry, dude. Yeah. No, yeah, that's yeah. not true. I said, "Where's that five dollars you owe me?" <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're really we're really excited to have this out there, and um, you know, it's been a long time in the coming. We've been building for a long time, and we built uh, just a crazy amount. So, um, and that's the thing, you know, we've learned from years in video game development that you can't just launch everything day one. So, you know, we we have a, a very robust live roadmap from mint onwards of how we're going to be rolling out these additional experiences that we've built so that people don't get bored and um you know and can can start to understand interoperability by the fact that you're bringing them in to lots of different types of experiences which um you know which i think will really push the space forward yeah i think it's interesting for sure and it's tough how are you going to handle and like this is a bear market so it's like people aren't really throwing money at a lot of stuff right now do you guys uh see that as a challenge right now no, you know, we've certainly had people question the size of the collection. Um, we, you know, we have a, we have a, 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 you know, a Dow treasury already set up. Pediverse foundation is absolutely going to be a part of what we're building. Like we see this being a hyperstructure in the future. And so we're on that path and we've, we've committed that if any of the collection doesn't sell, we will purchase it for the Dow and lock it up and, you know, shrink this, you know, shrink the supply for the time being and, and leave that for later. We really do want a big enough Genesis collection because that really ties into our future plans, including breeding. Um, so I really don't want to, you know, I, I know that the market is, is fickle and you just don't know. Um, we feel great about the size and quality of the whitelist, but you know, we're absolutely ready to step in if there's a problem and, um, and, and make sure that the, that the volume that's out there is the right volume. You said it was uh people have a hard time. We're not, we're not burning cats, you know? No, of course not. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, um, do you, you said you have a, obviously what you're saying web two people have a hard time with web three. And, you know, I, I have to admit, I I've seen that too, where people are like, Oh, you mean you're a crypto bro? And I'm like, no, I'm in the tech space for like 20 years. But you know, besides that, no big deal. It's what do you think? What do you see like the biggest hurdle, like from people coming in from the regular tech space into the blockchain space like this? Like what's the biggest hurdle? Do you think it's the same kind of like, Oh, you're, you're a, crypto is a scam or like what is what is the what is the biggest reservation you have you found i think people don't understand the the value proposition you know i did a podcast um that should be coming out soon a few weeks ago with some um x riot games guys um and one of whom was you know particularly opposed to web3 and by the end of the conversation, he was actually willing to say, like, he wasn't going to jump into Web3 necessarily, but he understood what I was building and thought it was a really strong use case for Web3 and that, you know, that he could understand and, and, and get behind as, as making sense and being legitimate, which was, you know, which was great to hear. Um, and I think that that's the problem is that no one has been doing a very good job of, of educating the gamers, for example, on why they should care. Because, you know, it was never play to earn and it was never tokenomics. Like that was always the worst way to try to get gamers on board. And so I think that, 
you know, the, the idea that we've been renting our stuff and now we can own it is something that a gamer can understand, you know, that they, you know, who've spent money on in-app purchases that are, are stuck somewhere um, or bonded with something, like I said, with Nintendogs and can't get at it anymore. So I think a lot of it is about messaging. And I also think that there's been this rush to get to hardcore games. And, you know, you, you come from the game industry as well. This stuff is going to take a long time. And, you know, the the path of mobile gaming didn't start with, anyone thinking Call of Duty on a mobile phone was acceptable. And it started more with mass market experiences. And so, you know, that's the other thing. We, you know, people ask me why we're starting with digital pets. Everyone understands pets. That's a commonality, regardless of your economics, your geography, your religion, your politics. People love having pets. They love dogs and cats. And, um, and so I think it's the sort of thing that will make sense to people and, and that they don't think it's a scam. Like, okay, I get that. I have a pet. I could have a digital pet. You know, we want these pets to be something that your grandkids can inherit, that you can change, that is mutable over time. They're usable across all blockchains, ultimately, at the same time. And it's it's understandable. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I just think it's it's interesting that, that people don't understand. Uh, I think they do understand, like, blockchain. I think they do understand Web3. I think a lot of people try to port ideas over to web three that have already been solved by current technology. So why are we overcomplicating it with blockchain is what I hear of. Yeah. And I feel the yeah. same way. Like not everything needs blockchain. You know what I mean? Not every idea needs to be in web three, right? Like we've already solved like 90% of the problems. Like if you want to invent a new not problem, but like a new game, like especially games belong here for sure, because you're not really solving in theory, you're not really solving a problem. You're just coming up with a new technique on how to build a game. So I see that as like games are the best, some of the best use cases you could ever have. I think with blockchain because yeah. it's new use cases there, these are not, these have not been around. Um, and if they have been, some of them have been already been successful. Again, CryptoKitties was pretty successful. You know, like it was, I would say it's one of the most successful NFT projects slash, you know, breeding mechanic games in the, in the space. Mm -hmm. And definitely, yeah. And it's tough to, to get people on board with this. So again, think about mobile games, right? When games came out on, on your phone, like on the, through the app store, a lot of people were like, eh. You know, how many people have an iPhone at this point? You know, like people were just not seeing the forest <laughs> for the trees, you know, like it's really a, a really interesting thing because it's just another use case. These game manufacturers could actually take advantage of right now and be early movers. And I just don't think they want to be early movers because they're just like my main revenue source comes from this tentpole franchise. Right. And then it's like, OK, why do we need to put it over the blockchain right now? Because the government hasn't really, you know, given us any guidance on like how to treat this stuff yet. So, yeah. and because it's now becoming mainstream, they have to like step up their game, huh? no pun intended, um, <laughs> step up their game to like figure out like how to do this. Right. And until they get there, until there is guidance on like NFTs and all this stuff, which again, still is super murky and there's no guidance really. Um, one that does, I think that's when all these game manufacturers, and platforms are going to get involved. And I think that's where we'll see the, the floodgates open up once that happens. Like, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. We're just really, really early and really just need to, to, to start to show some real value, to start to show some real progress. And, um, you know, I think that there's still so much focus on, you know, the earlier blue chip NFT projects that's, you know, it, we, we need to, we need to start seeing, progress. We need to start seeing utility. We need to start seeing, you know, less promises and more like immediate delivery of things that you can do. That makes sense. Hey, real nice guy. I saw your mic come off. Did you want to say something? Yeah. <clears throat> no, I was just, it's funny how everything's coming full circle. And I think with the release of this new project, new collection, it's coming at a kind of perfect timing when you realize that Crypto and NFTs coming out of a bear market, moving into a new direction. Yuga Labs announcing 125 uh, current active employees, pulling the former president of Blizzard Activision, me being a World of Warcraft player for the last 12, 15 years. Um, those that paid attention and, and participated in the tokenized microeconomy in these digital video games are going to be the ones that are going to be on top in this new world because now you're applying hypothetical 
success in a video game into real life, whereas now you're actually being paid to participate. And so I guess the analogy of tying these things together and just participating and paying attention is going to lead um, into something much, much better. And so I have to agree with Susan just about the idea of um, what's it called? Just the idea of, Oh, hang on, I just got a notification from the Yacht Club. Uh, sorry. Uh, okay. Uh, that everybody can relate to, to something cute and digital, and I think starting with pets is something I, at least I can relate to. And I guess my follow-up question to that is, is it just, from just the teaser, is it just cats, or am I seeing Frenchie heads? Because I, I have a multiple Frenchies in real life, so I'm wondering if it's going to be cats and dogs. It's um, totally not just cats. It's like anything we can. Okay. We can yeah, the, the second type of pet, which we haven't announced yet, is 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 months away. Um, not more than that, and um, and we already already have the third in mind. Um, so yeah, it's cats were just a really you know not unlike crypto kitties, a really sensible place to start. But I, I I have two dogs. I'm not even a cat owner. Plenty of people on my team are, but it wasn't about me. Um, <laughs> But I, I love that you mentioned World of Warcraft. Look, I've been an MMO player since like the EverQuest days, for God's sake. And I think that, you know, what 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 people did, you know, in MMOs was they they learned to create and add real value to something that they own to their character, right? And right now with um with with PFPs, you don't really have the opportunity to add value and change it. You you flip it. What's remarkable about games is, you know, we know that you can you can bond with a thing, you can collect an inventory with it and experiences with it, and you hold on to it. And maybe eventually you sell your account like people did with MMOs, but you were additive to it. So when you did decide to tell to to sell it off, you'd attributed real value to it. We haven't had the opportunity to do that with NFTs very much to date. And so that's why these pets, you get to bond with them. You know, some of the data is mutable and they'll collect an inventory of things. You could even detach those things and sell them off as a, as a separate NFT uh, on our platform. And so I think that that's what's really exciting is this is going to be an opportunity just to think about these things as a, why would I want to hold on to it long term and make it even better before I, before and if I sell it off. Yeah, the the, uh, the most highly searched things on the internet are uh, dogs, cats, and baby babies. So it's like you, <laughs> you definitely targeted the right category of like people who will like get get this and understand it. The tough part, the tough part is, is like convincing people who are not in this space yet to like get involved in that part because it's uh, you know it is a little complex. You know, like if you can make a, a simple use case here where you have a wallet. I don't know. It's just like digital collectibles. And, and when we stop calling them NFTs and is kind of like where I see us winning this, this whole thing, not calling them NFTs, not saying, you know, crypto, not saying blockchain, just calling it a digital collectible and, and, or whatever we call it at digital assets. And I have a wallet on my phone right now. It's called uh, Apple, my Apple wallet. And I have a bunch of tickets that are ticket stubs that are, that are in there right now. I don't, I mean, there are obviously some type of format inside of Apple and I don't know what that, I don't know what that is, but it's uh, like, I don't even think of them as anything except for like, you know, digital ticket stubs. Right. So I think that's where we need to get with this blockchain technology so that people understand, understand all this stuff. They don't have to worry about learning what's crypto, what's blockchain, what's NFTs, what's all this stuff. Oh my God, I got to fund my wallet. Oh, what do I do here? Like it's so many, there's so many friction points. So I think you're early on and this is a great use case and you actually can be because you're a first mover, like game companies are going to come to you. I think that's yeah. my, my gut tells me because you're, you're early in this, people will start coming to you right away and be like, you know what? She's already doing this guys. You know, like this is a great pitch for you. Of course, I'm sure you already know that, that it's like, because you're early, they'll just be coming to you and you'll be kind of like, Hey, let me, let me steward you on. Stuart, you into the the uh, the system here, right? Yeah, yeah. No, there's 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 so much. You know, Web three is hard. You know, I think I think making games is harder, but I think that there's so much to learn, and uh, there's a huge on ramping time for teams, and that you know that's also a problem because it means that game developers shy away from it because they, you know, 
which blockchain am I going to support? Custodial wallets, you know, multi-sig, all this stuff, all these decisions, I think, talking to a lot of other game developers about it are mind-boggling. Like during the bull market, you know, I had a lot of developer friends who saw us raising funding on the back of Web3 who were talking to me about who to talk to. And I said, well, what's your Web3 strategy? Like, well, we don't really have one. Well, which blockchain? I don't know. How would we pick? And so, wow. you know, that, that, you know, that learning was really hard for game developers, I think. Yeah, I think it's interesting. But I'll, I mean, all you have to really do is hire one blockchain developer to like, you know, augment a team and then they can actually explain it. But they just have to really understand that one blockchain developer just has to really understand it. Yeah, yeah. And especially to go deeper, like if you're going to go deeper than throwing hats on your characters and calling them NFTs, I think, you know, it takes, you know, some it takes it takes some exploration and digging in to figure out what the what the legitimate use cases are of web 3 that can't just be accomplished with web 2 as, yes, as you said yes exactly that yep it, it adds an extra mechanic to everything um you know this could actually be hard right look at like yeah. there's so many like my cto is very fond of saying that the best and worst thing about our project is is blockchain because blockchain's really hard and finicky and you know in some ways broken it is and things, yep. I agree with the software developer takes for granted you can't take for granted in blockchain and so it's like if you're not going to be there because because it helps it's just going to hurt yeah i mean this is like early days of the internet where everything you know there's like there's data leaks you know what i mean that we we don't know about there's hacks all these things that could happen that doesn't happen in on the internet right now we've we've sealed up all those holes where people's data could actually leak out. And even, even then, like we, even when we find out we've sealed up all the holes, passwords get compromised, you change them, all that stuff. It's, it's very, it's very interesting, but you know, most because we have FDIC insurance and things like that, you can't really have your funds stolen and not get them back. In this case, it's definitely more complex when it comes to like, Hey, if you click a link, you lose everything. Like that's, that's the piece that I think is the, is the problem plaguing this industry. Um, nobody, you can't go on the internet right now, click a link. If you're not, in, if you're not in the blockchain space in any way, you can't click a link right now and lose access to everything unless it's like, or lose like your assets. Like you might be able to lose access to like your Gmail or Twitter or some other account, but you cannot, you can get it back. You know what I mean? Like there's a centralized platform that gets you that, that stuff back because those are your accounts. Right. And, uh, in blockchain, like you could just literally have click a link and you lose all your assets instantly. And it's, it's super dangerous. And I don't know, uh, once that's fixed, I think that's when we also get more people on board. So get rid of the friction points and get rid of the ability to, f to have people actually hack your wallet. Hey, Mintify, go ahead. Uh, you, you saw the announcement from what yesterday or two days ago, account abstraction is, I believe it's live now, and that's going to change a lot, uh, regarding, you know, account security, and you know, retrieving lost accounts and whatnot—it's um, going to change. It's going to change a lot in terms of the capability of adoption and and you know, ease of use. Are you saying that you can roll you can roll back assets that have been stolen already, or are you saying like moving no. forward it'll stop it? You can't. You can prevent it a lot easier and make it harder to actually lose it in the first place. You can't like you can't roll back uh, you know transfers and stuff. Though. That would be amazing if you could, though, right? Right. It, it would be, but. You have to question right. how that gets determined and it'll be, it has to be centralized in some degree, or there has to be, you know, a DAO that's voting on every single, you know, rollback. It would, that's incredibly complex. It is. There's no doubt about it. I just, uh, I like the idea of it. So do I, in it's <laughs> most plain form. Yeah. Right. Minus all the, all the complexities with centralization, you know, concerns and whatnot. Well, yeah. It, I mean, it would be a good idea. Decentral. I mean, let's be honest. Like decentral. Like most of the stuff we're doing right now is kind of centralized anyway. Like they're the only when you do peer-to-peer -peer yeah. wallet stuff. Like you're decentralized. Otherwise, you're on a centralized marketplace. We're on a centralized. We're talking on a centralized app right now. I mean, everything we do. I mean, people. I think there's a balance between centralized centralization and decentralization. Like assets moving between platforms awesome for decentralization but there should be some overarching centralization that actually helps us eventually so i would i like the idea of like the music sharing you know like that's kind of like blockchain in the first place you know the whole bunch of pieces are stored everywhere else and then it just like recompiles data on like a bit torrent that's the same kind of thing that we have now with blockchain except for you know you can't really 
get your information, you know, your songs stolen back then or your, whatever you're downloading stolen from your computer. You can like help them, other people download it. But yeah, it's interesting. The whole thing is interesting. I, I look forward to seeing Susan, how this all goes for you too. Like I'm really, I'm excited that you're in this space. You, you have a crazy amount of knowledge. Um, and I'm just really grateful for you coming on the space today and like talking, talking us through like what you're working on. Is there a, is there anything else you want to just like, you know, do like a little recap for 30 seconds? Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I really appreciate you having me here. Um, yeah, we're, we're about to mint, uh, on the week of the 13th. Um, and this is really, you know, it's a special time. Uh, this is our Genesis collection. It's the only time it'll ever really be the first, you know, we'll get on to dogs and unicorns and dragons and birds and God knows what else, but it's the cat first. And so this is really exciting. It's your first chance to get an immortal pet that is going to be yours forever and usable across all blockchains, across all art styles. You'll have sole license to your pet. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's really special. And the Genesis collection will always be so important to us in terms of the privileges you'll have in terms of breeding, in terms of access to subsequent, you know, pets that are coming like this is, this is a, it's a big deal for us. You know, we're going to get to the mass market. We all have to get to the mass market, but, um, this is really getting to be involved in the beginning, you know, steps of this journey, you know, and, and, you know, immediate access to an app on three platforms, I think is a really nice reward for that too. Um, the, the Mimatron is all about creating shareable content for social media with your unique pet. So you'll connect your MetaMask wallet, which Apple approved and, uh, nice. and you get to, yeah, you get to create these beautiful shareable moments with your unique pet. And so I think people are going to have a lot of fun with that. You can get your, you know, the AR side of it allows your pet to jump up on the sofa next to you to run around the corner, all this cool stuff that I don't think people realize is possible in AR right now. So it's, it's, it's really a, I think an exceptional, um, app that we're, that we're launching. You know, that is really, that is really cool. Like, um, so basically you can actually hold it up and like see your pet on the, on the couch you can see your pet like running around like wherever you are that is really really cool that is a cool feature that a lot of people definitely do not understand um but you know it's it's definitely a really it's definitely a really cool use case that's never been done before i know that for sure in this space so i look forward to seeing how that goes a lot of progress in ar and people you know creating new things it's something that we've had our hands in for a few years now we were one of Qualcomm's first chosen partners for Snapdragon Spaces. We worked with Meta on their Spark AR strategy. So, you know, it's something that we we do a lot of. Um, so um, I think it's really, you know, it, this is not an AR project, but it's a really cool use case for a virtual pet that I think people will be really excited about when they see it. Yeah, I agree. Well, again, thanks again for being on the, on the basically on the show. Thank it's you. been an absolute pleasure. Hopefully we can have you on the show again after you guys launch and see how it goes. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe a couple of weeks from now or, or, you know, whenever we can do it. And, uh, once again, thanks for being here. It was a great show. I'm really, really impressed with everything you guys are doing. And I, re- I, I know it's going to be successful in my eyes. I think it's going to be great. So thank you um, so much. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to that, how that goes. So, um, once again, thanks. Thank and, uh, thanks real nice guy. And thanks to Mintify, one of our, definitely one of our partners, non-paid partners, um, you got to go check out Mintify. If you guys are a trader in NFT space, like definitely go check out Mintify. It's got a really great CEO behind it. Uh, I know him and uh, the software is amazing. So go check it out. Give it a test drive. Uh, I believe there's a, there's a version of it that's free. And we definitely, uh, again, I definitely support those guys. A great company and they're doing great things in the space. So with that said, see you guys on Monday. I'll probably be bopping around spaces all weekend like I always do because I'm addicted to spaces. But, uh, you know, I'll see you guys probably on Monday at 9 a.m. because we do a show every day, every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time. So 12 p.m. Eastern time. And I will see you guys on Monday. Thanks for being here again, Susan. Thanks, everybody else, for listening. Can't do it without you. Bye, everyone. See ya. Start it. Start it from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team fucking here Started from the bottom, now we here